0: Visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210 340 9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. It
1: Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, Bible questions, church questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. Whatever's on your heart, all you have to do is call. 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877 630 KSLR that's 6305757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Everything will be hands free. There's one button, banner. Um, call now at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, we've got a lot going on. We've got a lot of questions that have been sent in, so we'll wait your phone calls Two quick updates. Tonight, I'm going to be teaching out of Second Kings chapter 22. Um, interesting. I'm getting a lot of questions still about Asbury, and uh, I talked about that Sunday in the message here, and um, um, so we're getting those questions about it. Tonight, I get to teach again about revival, but this time led by King Josiah, who is my favorite king of all of the the kings of Israel. So that's tonight here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Uh, And then, of course, tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with us on the day day edition of the program. Let me start out with the questions that I have about um, Asbury. There's two of them. Um, Chuck just wants to know what is my, what are my thoughts on Asbury? And this one is anonymous. We just got it just before the program went on the air, um, uh, from our email inbox. It says, Hey, Pastor I know revival at Asbury has been a hot topic for a while. I believe, um, I'm trying to read. I believe I heard it is spread to other campuses, but just wanted to share. It's happening locally in colleges such as A and M and Baylor. Very exciting. Anonymous, I'm really grateful that you sent this uh, to me. He, he sent or she sent whoever it was. They sent a couple of links uh, to Facebook posts uh, that showed pictures of of students gathering. Uh, Worshipping and in prayer at both of those universities, and and it was very exciting. Um, and the reason it's exciting to me, Anonymous, is because we've been praying that that uh, you know not not only that there would be one more great move of God's Spirit before Jesus comes. Now, every time I say that, I want to remind whomever I'm speaking to that Jesus is coming, and He's coming soon. And what that means is that judgment. Judgment is coming on this world. We don't want anybody to get judged. Isaiah 28 says, Judgment is a strange work to the Lord. Our Bible study tonight, God Himself, through a prophetess, tells uh, Josiah that He's going to go to His grave in peace, uh, but the judgment will stand, that the things that He's prophesied will happen. And um, we we need to remember that. These things are going to happen. And this prayer that we've had that there be one more giant move of God's spirit. Because just like in our study tonight, it's not about the nation of Israel. Um, These revivals aren't about the, the country called the United States of America. But in these last days, God is dealing with individual people. And he's giving us an opportunity to get swept up in what he's doing, to to avoid being judged. And so he's dealing with individuals, and because the time is short, we need to be very, very cautious about how we approach these things. And I just, I love the fact that, that this is spreading to other colleges. In other words, so Tennessee and Ohio, we knew about those colleges, but I did not know anything about uh, Baylor or Texas A&M, and I'm thrilled. You know, we got Calvary Chapels in both places, in, in Waco and in, uh, uh, in College Station. And, oh, I just... Man, I, it, this would just be a wonderful, wonderful gift from the Lord in these last days. And the fact... That the generation, the kids that are in college right now, Gen Zers, they uh, have been described as the most godless generation that's ever been born in this country. And to see God go to that place and touch those hearts, well, that's just like God. He loves them so much. They don't love him, but he loves them. And because he does, he's drawing people to you. And this this should be something that consumes all of our prayer time. This should be something that we're all thrilled about. This is an answer to prayer. Have I said it before? Jesus is coming soon, and we don't have much time. So, Anonymous, thank you very, very much for that. And, Chuck, my thoughts on the revival. Um, Up to this point, uh, I've I've been watching it happen. You know, there's been a lot of superstar celebrity types, uh, both in worship and preachers, go out there and try to sort of hijack what's going on, and they haven't given them any place. It it looks today like it did 15 days ago. So we, we need to keep them in prayer. Now, the university has sort of shut them down. I think tomorrow is going to be their last day. Uh, on campus uh you know the crowds uh, the the literally tens of thousands of people have overwhelmed the little city i mean it's a a one street uh one convenience market t- t- uh, town the the university there is literally all of the the city and um you know the police force and and uh, just all of the, the businesses around. They're just overwhelmed. And the college needs to get back to normal course of business. So they have found other venues for them. I have no idea where the other venues are or how far away they are. I don't know anything at all. But here's what I do know, that you can't shut down a move of God's spirit. So it'd be interesting to see what happens. I know that the Christians there uh, will will be respectful. But you know the truth is, Uh, Jesus got to come out of that building at some point and start telling people that don't know him or don't believe in him about who he is and what he's done. So I'm all for this revival uh, going out into the streets. That's what happened in the book of Acts. That's what the angel said when they were watching Jesus ascend into the heavens and the disciples were sort of staring up like, wow, what did we just see? And the angel said, what are you guys doing? I'm going to paraphrase. What are you guys doing? Don't just stand here. He said to go into all the nations and make disciples. And they had to be about the Father's business, and that's exactly, I think, what the next step of this move of God's Spirit is going to be. I'm praying, Chuck, that it turns from a revival. That's where God starts with his own people. Judgment begins at the house of God, and repentance and getting right and staying right with God has to be... God's first order of business. And and if that revival continues, then it should turn into an awakening. And that's where other people get saved. Unbelievers get saved. And that's what all of these people hopefully are are in that auditorium uh, preparing for, having been filled with the Spirit of God and being prepared to go out and share the love of Jesus Christ. So, Chuck, that's those are my thoughts. I haven't seen anything that would suggest that this is uh, being corrupted or that uh, uh, others are coming uh, to sort of uh, find their own platform. haven't seen anything like that at all. What I have seen indicates, I think, pretty clearly that um, God's Spirit is moving. And that it would spread to other college campuses, and especially here in Texas, UTSA, Incarnate Word, the junior colleges here, or community colleges, they're called here. Why not? Let's see, move of God's Spirit. We all ought to be praying. Thank you for the question. Here's a question from our email inbox. This one's from Nacho. Uh Ron, I was reading an article about Rick Warren in the SBC, and Warren made mention of something new. I personally follow you and Paula's adage, if it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. That's something we should all remember. Nothing new under the sun. That's what uh, Solomon wrote. Uh, there is nothing new. And uh, if it's new, it's an invention of man and certainly isn't It doesn't have its genesis in the spirit of God. And then he continues. In defense of ordaining female pastors in his church, Warren said that he believes there is a difference between the office of pastor and the gift of pastor. Uh, My argument against that is I believe the role of a pastor is singular and not plural or multifaceted. Uh, there's only one senior pastor a leader in a particular church, not multiples. This makes me think of 1 Corinthians 14 and Paul's call for orderly worship. It's funny to note how in that same chapter Paul speaks about the role of women in the church, which Warren defies. I had a question, I think, yesterday about uh, about uh, Rick Warren, um, or, or, or uh, not Rick Warren, but Saddleback Church that Rick has retired from, um, uh, having been disfellowshipped. By the Southern Baptist Conference, and um, um, you know not sure one of the things that you we, we, we've gotten used to by now is that when people want to do something bad enough, they 're going to find a way uh, to not really care about what God says about it. You know, I think this is such a simple issue. The church belongs to Jesus. We're told repeatedly he is the head of the church. It's not, uh, I, and I'll, I'll personalize this, Calvary Chapel of San Antonio is not Pastor Ron's church. It's Jesus' church. And I'm simply an under-shepherd. And that means I am a man under authority or man under orders. And he doesn't ask me what I think we should do. He doesn't ask me what I think about certain uh, passages in Scripture. He just gives them to us. And it's our responsibility to carry them out. And the idea that, that Rick Warren would offer this argument, there's a difference between the office of pastor and the gift of pastor. Uh, that's nonsense. Uh, uh, there are gifts that go along with being called to be a pastor, to be sure. However, uh, the office of pastor uh, is very specifically laid out and 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, speaking about orderly worship. I mean, that's the direct context of the passage. It says, they do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man in the church. That's the role of pastor. It is the only role that a woman is prohibited from in the church. In the New Testament church, from the very beginning, there's been uh, women prophetesses, um, women were used uh, with the gift of teaching, however, not to teach men in a congregation-type setting. Um, so so women have all of the gifts. Women are often far more spiritually in tune than their husbands, even their husbands who are pastors are. However, um, God says, this is my church, and this is the way it's going to be. You know, have you ever gone into somebody's house And you open the door, they open it, tell you to come on in, and you're wearing your shoes. And instantly you look inside the breezeway or the entryway, and there's like a hundred pair of shoes there. And what they're saying to you with that is, when you come into our house, we prefer that you remove your shoes. Now, you don't have to go into their house if you don't want to remove your shoes. But if you go in their house, you've got to honor their rules. Well, we're in Jesus' house here. And he's the one that gets to make the rules and to come up with silly distinctions between the the office of pastor and the gift of pastor um, is, is just splitting hairs. And people, as I said, are going to find a way to violate what God's word says. Uh, and in this case, simply because it's kind of the cool thing to do. Oh, yeah, we've got a church that's uh, husband and wife co-pastors that simply a church that's out of control. It's a church that is not submitted to the will of God uh, nor to the rules of God. And a church that has forgotten that this is God's house and God doesn't shift and change with the cultural flows of our world. He just doesn't. So that is what I would say. Thank you, Nacho. Appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Jennifer uh, from our email inbox. She says, Pastor you speak a lot about alcohol. I really don't think I do, Jennifer. I hope I don't, but I when, when asked the question, I do. Okay, you speak a lot about alcohol and how there are no good stories in the Bible When alcohol is involved, I was wondering, in your biblical opinion, is it okay for Christians to drink, not get drunk, at certain occasions in front of non-Christians, such as weddings, birthdays, or celebrations? Patrick Mahomes has been a great Christian example throughout his football journey, but now he's getting vilified for chugging beer uh, and celebrating for winning the Super Bowl. Christians shouldn't be acting like this in front of uh, non-Christians. Uh, is what people say. I don't see it an issue, but what are your thoughts? Thank you, Pastor Ron. Um, Jennifer, a couple of things. I'm not uh, a legalist, nor would I um, dare try to judge Patrick Mahomes um, or or limit the freedom that God has given him. If he was drinking and it is not uh, being drunk, uh, then he hasn't violated uh, any scripture at all. Now, I think there's a greater um, rule here or or principle here that should guide our choice. Is it wise for Patrick or, or for anybody else to drink in front of unbelievers when it might lead to compromising your witness? Now, I want to be specific here, Jennifer. In our country, alcohol is a huge, huge, huge Problem, and it's not something that's just culturally people are expected to do. Uh, there are countries where drinking is is um, uh, so commonplace. Germany, Germany. If you went to Germany and um, I went to lunch, you'd find everybody from church with a beer in their hand. It'd be warm beer, by the way. Um, but but they'd have beer in their hand. They'd be so, Nobody would think a thing about it. It's just like if you go to the beach and a woman wears a bikini. Nobody would think anything about it. But but. In other venues, it would be um, immodest. So uh, I think that's the rule. Is it good? Am I compromising my witness? What's the message that I'm giving to unbelievers? And I want to approach this from two perspectives. One, I think the Christians who are blasting Patrick Mahomes, um, they need to, to start checking the log in their own eye before they go looking for the speck in Patrick Mahomes' eye. And the other perspective, Jennifer, is simply this, does this help my walk with Jesus Christ? Uh, There's just, nothing good happens when people are drinking. Nothing good happens when people are drinking. And I think especially a public person like Patrick Mahomes has a great responsibility. Uh, kids are wearing his jersey and idolizing him. And that's what kids do with their football or baseball heroes. Um, I, I, think, I think he's giving them um, sort of a tacit approval of drinking. And uh, I'm not sure that's ever good. So um, I, I just don't think so. I don't think it's wise. But I'm not Patrick's judge, nor am I your judge or anybody else's judge if they're doing it. Uh, Paula and I were very careful. Um, we've, we've gone out with people um, and we've been in public places where people are drinking, and we're very careful. We don't want to sit in a bar and you know we've had crowded restaurants. We, do you want a table in the bar? No, we don't. We don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. But see that's our personal conviction. But, but we would never impose our personal conviction on somebody else. So, Jennifer, I hope you can deal with that. Uh, I think we who are Christians ought to stop judging and talking about people um, who feel the freedom to do something. And we're trying to take that freedom away when the Bible doesn't do it. I think uh, we need to be really, really, really careful. Jennifer, thanks for the question. I appreciate it. Here is a question from Dale. He says, "I know that God is everywhere, but does that mean He is in hell now?" You know, uh, Dale, we use uh, the the human languages to 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 communicate a point. Uh, God is um, omnipresent. That that means He's everywhere. Uh, but but we say that that does that mean He's in hell? If He's in everywhere, hell is in everywhere place, so He's got to be there too. No, his presence is not in hell now. Hell now is uh, the the abyss in the New Testament. Um, And and God isn't physically present there, um, but God is in control there. I hope that makes sense to you. So, no, he's not in hell, nor will he be in the lake of fire when the lake of fire um, is is created uh, following the thousand year reign of Christ on earth. So yes, God is everywhere, but but physically it doesn't mean He's there. Uh, you know, we'll say things like, "Well, well, God can't look upon sin." Well, of course God can look upon sin. God can do anything. Jesus was looking upon sin when He cried out, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." He He was looking at sin when He was crying out, "Adam, Adam, where art thou, Adam?" In the Garden of Eden, so so uh, when we say God can't look upon sin, we're describing His character. There's no sin; He's completely uh, holy and just and perfect, and so we we're saying those things to make a point. But we can't take that point and stretch it to a place where um, um, you know we're we're getting so literal that uh, that it doesn't make any sense. So, yes, God is um, omnipresent. He is omniscient. He's all-knowing. Uh, he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Um, but that does not mean that he's not in control in all of those things, even though physically he's not there in the presence of of evil. I think hell is, by definition, being separated from the presence of God and that's when it gets really dark and really cold and really, really, what did Jesus say? Weeping and gnashing of teeth forever and ever and ever. Here's a question from Joe. He says, I'm convinced God will take everyone to heaven eventually. How could sending people to hell bring God glory? Well, I think, Joe, that we have a problem with, um, we forget that God is holy and just and that sin has to be judged. If sin didn't have to be judged, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. If God could have just said, you know, I love people, and I'm just going to kind of forgive their sins. And that's what these universalists, and that's what you are, Joe, if you think God's going to take everyone to heaven, uh, it means Jesus didn't have to die at all. Jesus said, if there's any other way... Uh, let this cup pass for me and and there was no other way. Jesus had to die. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness or remission of sins and And the idea that that God is going to violate his holiness is counter to his character and his nature. I know it makes us feel good. Oh, I just want everybody to get to heaven and no if if that were true, Joe, if what you now believe is true then Jesus is a liar, and if Jesus is a liar, we're not saved. If what you believe is true, then God is not just. Because you're saying God doesn't have to punish sin. Now, God gives everybody a way out. When they make the wrong choice, there is going to be an eternal consequence, and that's the consequence. How could it bring God glory? It brings God great pain. Isaiah 28 says that judgment is a strange work to God. Uh, In the book of Revelation, uh, we see that there's silence in heaven for half an hour as the judgments are being poured out because God doesn't want to judge people. Um, But it brings him glory because his holiness is observed. His holiness is acknowledged and Joe for you to be personally convinced that everybody's going to end up in heaven then that's going to translate into your walk with the Lord like well what difference does it make if i sin then what difference does it make if somebody's uh, homosexual and they don't believe what god says or somebody is is trans um, uh, gender um those things really don't matter because hey we're all going to get to heaven anyway and joe when you when you take positions like the one you've taken you are Literally saying that you know more than God and God is a liar. And because your perception of God is such that you just can't imagine that God could send anybody to hell. God did everything in his power to make sure nobody nobody has to go to hell. But he also never took away our free will. Can you imagine, Joe, just for a moment, think about this. Somebody who rejected Jesus Christ for his whole life wanted nothing to do with God. And suddenly God says, I know you didn't want anything to do with me, but now it's time for eternity, and I'm going to make you stay with me forever. That would be violating his free will. So God simply acknowledges the choice that people make in this life as he determines their eternal punishment or reward. Those are very important things to consider, Joe. And uh, I'd go one step farther and say that, that people who are universalists Um, have no understanding at all about the nature and the character of God. And I would say to people, you really need to examine your heart. Paul says to examine your faith daily to see whether or not you're in the faith. Examine your heart. See whether or not you're in the faith. And Joe, that's the counsel that I would give to you. Hey, the phones are quiet. We'd love to have you call 340-9585 or toll free 877 630 KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. I'll be back in two minutes.
0: Welcome back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
1: Welcome back to the program. We have 30 minutes left for your calls and or questions. 340-9585. Here is an anonymous question. Uh, Pastor Ron, my 17-year-old daughter has decided she's an atheist. She spends time online and no longer wants to come to church. How can I deal with her? Um, I'm deciding how direct I want to be. That's why the pause. Okay, let me be real direct. The way to deal with her is to be her parent. You know, say either the father or the mother, be her parent. Your 17-year-old daughter living in your house has no right to make her own choices. Now, she doesn't have to become a Christian. You can't make her become a Christian. But what she does and how she spends her time in your house, and remember, you're representing Jesus in your home, is not up to her. These kind of questions just cause me all kinds of confusion because I don't understand how these teenage kids can hijack the authority of their parents. Now, if she's an atheist, she's an atheist. She's foolish. A fool says in his heart, there is no God but the the reality is that what she does how she behaves how she spends her time whether or not she goes to church how much freedom you give her to be online with her friends or her social media platforms those are decisions for you to make and you're going to stand before the lord one day and you're going to give account of your stewardship over your daughter So to let her make these decisions means that you've completely abdicated your position of authority in the home. I would tell her, very simple, now she's 17, she's got a year or so before she's legally an adult and can move out of the house. Um, She can go anywhere she wants. But you have the ability to say, you know, this next year in our home is going to be either really pleasant for all of us And we're going to be grateful that we had it or it's going to be literally hell. You get to choose. And exercise your authority. This is what you're going to do. You're going to be respectful. And if you're not, then you can't live here. Now, a 17-year-old has the legal right to move out of the home. But it's your responsibility to make sure that she is observing the rules of the household. Don't give her the option about going to church. Just let her know she's going to get up, she's going to go, she's going to be polite, she's going to be part of the family. And that's what the family does on Sunday. And stick to your guns. It's really that straightforward. Limit her time online. You're probably paying for her phone. So it's time to be in charge. You know, I I understand the emotional pain, the discomfort, the tension in a home like this. What I don't understand is why we parents would even give our children uh, the, the right to think that they have a say-so in the matter of how they behave. This is the way it is. And so that's how I think you ought to deal with her. And um, she won't be happy. Um, she may sulk, um, but remind her that one of the benefits of being in my home, one of the requirements, rather, of being in my home to enjoy the benefits of being there It's simple. You're going to behave. You're going to be kind. You're going to be polite. And if you can't do that, then this is probably not the place you ought to live. And as difficult as that is, and I realize how difficult it is, at least then your 17-year-old daughter is going to know how much Jesus means to you. The minute you start compromising because you want to keep things at peace with her, she realizes that your Jesus really doesn't mean that much to you at all. So, Anonymous, I know that isn't what you wanted to hear. However, there's, uh, there, there's just no, we, we can't cross the line here. We're either servants of God or we're not. Tad says, what do you think about pastors who live in gated communities, make tons of money? Uh, Tad, honestly, I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm jealous of them, not really, but but uh, I think pastors ought to live uh, at about the same level uh, as the people in their church do. You know that whatever the median level of income is, uh, whatever the, the 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 median house is, um, that's that's probably where they ought to be, and that ought to be the amount of money that they make. Um, I, I think the bigger question, Tad, is. What is their motive for serving you know Peter uh, lets us know that we 're not to to serve uh for money we 're not to have ulterior motives, uh, but we 're to serve because we love god 's people and if the people of God are a means for a lot of these guys to get rich um, then they're going they 've lost all fear of God and they 're going to stand before the lord and be judged it's it 's just that simple um I just think we ought to live with our people. Um, I live one mile from our church. Um, God has provided uh, Paula and me with with a, a nice home. Um, um, we don't take much money out of the church. Um, and I still feel like I'm the richest man in, in the earth. So I don't think they ought to uh, do that. And certainly they shouldn't do it at the expense of the people. Uh, Ted, if you're talking specifically about a, a, a prosperity pastor, um, somebody who is getting rich uh, on the backs of the people, uh, that's just you just need to get out of that church, and then don't worry about them. Pray for them, but don't worry about what they do anymore. Uh, wear all of that. Felix says, excuse me, Felix says, my church is ecumenical, and it worries me. Your thoughts, please. Uh, Felix, you should be worried. Um, ecumenical churches are those who believe just everybody has to get together and I know we disagree with this and your religion is different than my religion but it's all okay we're all sort of going to the same place just taking different roads to get there uh, ecumenical, ecumenicalism is not healthy it is not biblical um, um, we are the sheep of, of our shepherd and uh, we've got to do what he says he's the one who's in charge And uh, any church, Felix, that is uh, ecumenical, accepting as valid other approaches to God, is a false church. And um, I'd be not only worried, but I would run away as fast as I possibly could. So I hope that answers your question. Lance says, I know when we die, we go immediately to heaven. But what about unbelievers who die? Do they go immediately to hell? Lance, if you look in your Bible, Luke chapter 16, uh, there's a place um, of torment. Uh, It doesn't really have a name. It's the abyss, or the Greek word is abuso. Um, But but it doesn't have a name that's been translated in English. We call it hell or Hades or Gehenna or things. But but, but that's just humans who do that. Uh, Luke 16 says there is a place of torment and that is the place where the unrighteous dead go and they go there immediately as soon as the the spirit leaves their body their physical bodies are are tired and worn out they die then the real them the spirit that lives within them is immediately ushered into the presence of of uh, that torment in, in the abyss so uh, it happens instantly it doesn't you know they don't just get put in the ground and then wait until the rapture or wait until um, that Jesus returns for his millennial kingdom, uh, they go instantly into that place of torment, as indicated by the story of Luke 16. Uh, Lazarus and the rich man, uh, it is not a parable. Uh, Jesus wasn't speaking figuratively. He was sharing the, the eternal destinies, the contrast in those destinies um, between a, a, a rich man who was we would say not a believer and a beggar who was. God sort of turning the tables in heaven. So uh, we instantly go in the presence of Jesus, as you indicated. Unbelievers instantly go into torment in the abyss. One day the abyss will be emptied out and uh, those people um, will be cast into the lake of fire where they will spend forever and ever. So Lance hope that helps three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions here is an anonymous question um, pastor how are we supposed to react to God's directive to have all of the Amalekites killed including women and children um, I, I think anonymous this this always causes trouble for people uh, the same thing was true in the Canaanite campaign when uh, when Israel uh, went in and, and, and rid the land literally of, of the people, men, women, and children, in um, a seven-year campaign, um, the way we're supposed to react is, is we're to praise God for his justice. Um, the women were adults. They were sinners. They were um, in cooperation in sin with their husbands. Um, they, they, You know, women just like men can be evil and they were in fact the amalekites in particular uh, god waited over 400 years for them he said until the sin of the amalekites is full and what he meant by that anonymous is that their 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 sin quotient is completely filled up there's no one left who's righteous there's no one left who doesn't deserve judgment and um when when God ordered them all killed, that was judgment now here's our problem. Well, what about the kids? Why would God kill kids? Um, those children who died before the age of accountability would go into the presence of the Lord when they died. They would go into into paradise before jesus was was born, crucified, and risen from the dead. so God was actually being merciful. We see that as uh, infanticide. I've been called um, an infanticide supporter. God is a baby murder. And by the way, all these people are, are pro-abortion. Um, and, and, you know, the reality is God is merciful. And in his judgment, yes, he was ending their life here, but he was preventing them from growing up and repeating the sins of their fathers and mothers. And the result is they will go to heaven instead of going to hell for eternity. I don't know why that's hard for people to, to grasp. Eternity is a lot longer than than the, the 70 or 80 or 90 years that we live here on this earth. And yet our focus is so earthbound that we forget all of that. So God was actually being merciful to those children, having them killed. That was just judgment on a Christ-rejecting world. They got caught up in the sins of their fathers and mothers, but they were spared, those younger kids, they were spared from the eternal consequences that their fathers and mothers had to endure. So I hope that makes sense to you. Um, but but when, you, when you deal with stuff in the Bible that's hard to understand or, well, I don't know how a loving God could do this, look for mercy. And in this particular case, it's pretty easy to to understand. Teresa says, um, should we watch movies or television shows that take God's name in vain? Teresa, this is a hard one only because I, I can't impose my values on the rest of people. Um, this is something you're going to have to decide. Now, I think probably the Holy Spirit's already speaking to your heart and you wouldn't ask the question. If you thought it was fine, it would be no big deal. Um, but I... I when 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 god's name is taken in vain and, and in particular when people say the gd word um it just it just it's too much for me um you should see Paula's face when accidentally comes on and and you know you don't you're watching something you don't know what's going to come um it's just something that that our world thinks nothing of i know television shows um that will take god's name in vain like that uh, who won't have other curse words and i think my goodness the world just doesn't get it so i'm going to just tell you uh, i won't watch movies or television shows that take god's name in vain paul and i have walked out of a whole bunch of movies and because we like movies and i'm more into them than she is um you know at times it's you get right to it i was i went to watch the movie top gun and uh, the the new one and uh, people at the church were raving about it, and and I said, "Well, I looked it up, and says God's name was taken in vain," and and uh, they said, "No, there it wasn't," and and one person went back to the movies, and was listening for it and didn't hear it. I said, "No, Pastor Ron, there's no, they don't take God's name in vain. i watched it twice," so we went, and it it was a great movie, by the way, I loved the movie. But we got, I think it's 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 like in the last ten minutes of the show, they they take God's name in vain, and I'm thinking, oh man, they ruined the show, and at that particular and normally we just get up and leave. We don't say anything. It's not like a show of our holiness or anything like that, but we just get up more. Well, I had dropped my phone on the floor. Went through out of my my shorts pocket and on the floor and I couldn't get it because the people sitting next to me were pretty big people and I couldn't I'd have to get on the ground and get it I saw where it was it was under there to say so we sat there It's the for only movie that I've never walked out of when they took God's name in vain like that um, and 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 you know I felt bad that I I did but I mean it was as clear as day now maybe I'm just sensitive to it and I hear things that other people don't but but you're going to have to answer that question for yourself is it a sin to, to enjoy a movie where God's name is taken in vain probably not but I wouldn't let them talk bad about Paula if they start talking about Paula horribly on the movie I'd get up and leave well I love Jesus more than I love Paula so, I, I just, for me personally, Teresa, it's just something I can't do. And I, and I know a lot of people I love with all my heart. I know they love God with all their heart. And they're faithful, fruitful servants of God. And it doesn't bother them as much as it bothers me. Um, that's between them and the Lord, just like it's between me and the Lord, the, the choice I make. Roberta says, a pastor I like recently appeared on TBN. It's a Trinity Broadcasting Network that devastated me. Doesn't he realize that he's endorsing and supporting a ministry that has a lot of false teaching on it, Roberta? This is a really hard question. You know, Paul and I have been on TBN. Um, it was a long time ago, but but we've been on the local TBN station, and we got interviewed. And, and um, um, you know, um, my position was, and I know there's a lot of false teaching on TBN a lot of really horrible horrible stuff uh on TBN I, I actually let me take a a quick story break um a well-known politician who is very public about his faith was on TBN we 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 just went through the channels and there was a commercial and he was talking about giving to TBN here's what he was saying he was saying you know um You can store up rewards in heaven, especially those of you who are seniors. Would you please consider leaving your homes to TBN in your will? And and it just stunned me. It devastated me. So let me say, Roberta, there's nothing about TBN that I can recommend. However, there are some good teachers on TBN from time to time. And those good teachers typically, typically... Teach solid doctrine on TBN. Typically, they don't get involved in endorsing the other stuff. Um, and and frankly, I would go on any place, no matter what the station is, as long as nobody told me what to say, and I could declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, or I could, I could talk about something um, from a biblical perspective. Every opportunity to let the truth get out, um, I think, needs to be taken advantage of. So um, I don't. I'm not critical of pastors who are on there as long as they're doing what they do, and they're not being compromised. David Jeremiah, who is a pastor that I admire very much, I've met uh, met him a couple of times. Um, I so admire his energy and his resolve to finish well. He and I have that in common. He's actually older than me, so um, I, I mean, I was amazed at his energy and his desire to to, to, to just right to the end. To, to burn with Jesus. Um, but I, I saw him on a TBN commercial soliciting funds. I would not do that. Um, but I can't judge him for doing it. So um, if you like a pastor and he's there, you can listen to his message on Jane just because the the TBN. Uh, Paul and I, we watch Tony Evans from time to time on TBN. Um, um I don't think badly of Tony Evans for being on TBN. Uh, Greg Laurie, who for many, many years, he's no longer a Calvary Chapel pastor, but for many years was a Calvary Chapel pastor. And um, uh, he's on TBN. And their approach is simply that um, they, they want exposure, you know, to advance the gospel, not to advance their own agendas, but to advance uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I think Roberta, Probably it's okay. Um, don't, don't be devastated by it. Um, if, if you are devastated, just don't listen to him anymore. But don't judge him. Don't judge his heart. How are we doing on time? About four minutes. Okay. Mickey is asking What's a biblical view of self esteem or self worth? Is this something that we should pursue? You know, Mickey, when I get this question, um, we all have a lot of self-esteem. Now, people say, well, I hate myself. No, you don't. You don't hate yourself at all. You love yourself. And that's why you're feeling so bad, because you want you to be happy. If you didn't want you to be happy, you didn't want all your problems to go away, that would be an issue. But but we, we, we need to find our self-esteem in Christ. Our worth, our value is only in Christ. Paul is all the time telling women, young women especially, they're living with people they're not married to or, or in sexual relationships with people they're not married to. And she'll tell them, look, if you knew your value to God, if you really knew your value, you wouldn't do this. You wouldn't let this man take advantage of you. You wouldn't sell yourself short like this. So our value, our self-worth has to be measured in Christ our self-esteem. Be careful because self-esteem gets really, really close to pride, which is the original sin, the sin behind all other sins. And so here's what you need to do. Uh, Mickey, you just need to find your esteem in Christ. I am valuable. I'm the pearl of great price. I'm the apple of his eye. All of those things, but only because of the work he's done. So for me, When I did spend all my time trying to make myself something, when I tried to to feel good about myself, it didn't work. When I I surrendered to Christ, then all of that changed because he considered me a value. And when we walk in that value, when we truly understand how precious we are to God, how precious are your thoughts toward me, how vast are some of them, that's what the psalmist wrote. He's thinking about you all day, every day. We don't need any more self esteem than that. If you're thinking about secular or worldly self esteem, you know, positive affirmations and convincing yourself that you're okay, that you're a good person, and that, that's, that's just futility. And you'll, you'll be frustrated beyond um, your, your ability to understand. So, what do we do? We just find our value, our self worth. In Christ, I have the King of kings and the Lord of lords living in me. He has poured out his love into my heart by the Holy Spirit that he's given us when we get saved. All of that to say that I don't need any more self-esteem than that. I don't need any more value. The one thing, Mickey, that you'll, you'll see with whether they're, or not they're motivational speakers, or psychologists, uh, the one thing that you'll, you'll be confronted with is that these are people that are miserable. They're just miserable people. And so they're trying to convince themselves that they're something they're not. So it's real simple. Find your worth, find your value in Christ. And you know what? You don't worry about silly things like this anymore. You don't Search for something because you already have it. And that's the only place of peace. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Paula will be live in studio with us tomorrow, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then.